darling, with the young ones And the young ones shouldn't be afraid While the flame is strong Cause we may not be the young ones Very long Tomorrow While until tomorrow Hey everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to the seventh installment of the Young Animal Gatherum. Today we've got four, count them, four young animal books to discuss and, uh... Well, none of them are Doom Patrol. But that's nothing new to us, is it? Uh, what we do have is the rest of the books, including a chapter of Mother Panic in which we might just be turning the corner on the title. Uh, that's actually where we're going to start today, Mother Panic number 7. That originally aired on May 28th, 2017. We'll jump from there to Shade the Changing Girl number 9, originally aired on June 11th, 2017. From there, the second issue of Bug, The Adventures of Forager. That originally aired on June 18th, 2017. And then we'll wrap it all up with Cave Carson as a Cybernetic Eye, number 9. And that originally aired on June 25th, 2017. Now this episode's going to fall in uh, a little bit shorter than the uh, last several. Uh, actually more in line with what we originally thought these episodes were going to take. Uh, we're looking at about an hour 20, maybe hour 25, if we count uh, music bumps and uh, this very intro. Hope everybody's digging what we're doing and hope you come back for more next week. See ya. In every lifetime comes a love like this. Oh, I need you, you need me. Oh, my darling, can't you see young ones? Darling, with the young ones. The young ones shouldn't be afraid to live. Love, there's a song to be sung. Cause we may not be the young ones very long. Welcome back to the Young Animal segment on WeirdSciDCComics.com podcast. I think that's what it's called, right? I think yes. I am Reggie. I am Chris. And we have one wonderful, well, you know, decent young animal book for you today. <laughs> uh, what is that one? It is Mother Panic number seven. This starts a new uh, a new story arc, and it's actually our third story arc. It's mm -hmm. called Victim Complex, and this is part one. It was written by Jody Hauser with art by a new artist uh, to the title, John Paul Leon and uh, Dave Stewart on colors. And we open with a little bit of a, a callback to an earlier issue here. We uh, have one of the children that Violet saved from Hemsley uh, is walking through a parking structure with her parents or guardians, perhaps. Uh, as they approach their car, they see a pair of chalk outlines drawn on the parking spot beside them. Uh, and uh, the, the, we find out that the kid's father has just as filthy a mouth as Violet. Yeah. Every other word. Right away. Um, <laughs> right off the bat. So the first page. <laughs> which it's funny because that page wasn't included in the in the, uh, the in the preview. Oh yeah. Um, now the family, uh, as they stare at the uh, chalk outline, they are approached by a person who's wearing a Gotham City coroner's bag. He raises two guns and murders the parents. 
seems you know like a Gotham, Gotham City type of thing. Yeah, come to Gotham City, watch your parents get shot in front of you. That's all part of the uh, tourist package. Yes. No, uh, no, uh, no, uh, no pearls on the ground though. No, not of this one. This is um, <laughs> they're much more austere. This couple, but yes. uh, so the result may be the same. We'll see. Sure. Check check back on that little girl in 25 years. Uh, elsewhere, Mother Panic is doing Mother Panicky things, which can be boiled down to fighting and using the F word and not much else. Uh, some good shots of, uh, you know, for what it is, a couple of panels, but yeah, she's basically just punching people in the face. As she fights, we get some more of those odd sort of symbolic panels that come and go in this series. Yeah, like maybe a marble? Yeah, and I see like... Uh... <laughs> Birds flying south, or I, I think that's actually like leaves draped over. Is it? Yeah. And don't know. Tea going into a teacup. <laughs> this was missing from the last arc, so it's yeah strange to see it back. But I guess maybe this will be the arc we figure out why that happens. I don't know. Uh, she also has a flashback during the fight, but this isn't one of those uh, flashbacks from her time at the Gather House prep school that turned her into a trained assassin or whatever she is. Uh, this is just about a conversation with her mother that about how dangerous things are on the outside. And you remember her mother is crazy and lives in like some weird Mad Hatter's garden inside the uh, their house. Uh, Violet disagrees when her mother refers to her as a hero, but cannot deny that when she goes out, she wears a white hat. Figuratively and literally. Hey, hey very funny. <laughs> if 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 that you know bucket she has on her head we, is a hat, I guess we can. Uh, you know, helmet, hat, one of the two. We don't know. Sure. Um, now, just as uh, she's got the bad guy pressed up against the wall by his throat, she's overcome by a sharp pain. Uh, can't really tell if she's reaching for her chest or her neck though, so we don't know where the pain is originating. Yeah. Um, and so she tosses the dude to the ground and gives him a threat to you know. Cut it all out, stop it, and uh, and she leaves so she could try to figure out what's going on inside of her. Yeah, while well, cursing all the way. Absolutely. Uh, visits with her pal, Dr. Varma, who doesn't seem very pleased to see her at the moment. When Violet indicates something's not quite right, Varma agrees to <laughs> give her a little checkup. In the lab, we learn that Violet has a spinal implant, which has begun to degrade inside her. We we didn't know this at all, that she was cybernetically enhanced, right? Am I wrong? I don't think so. I, you know, it's, I, when I first read that, I'm like, oh, this is new information. Then I'm like, oh, maybe not. I, I don't know. I think <laughs> in the first arc, it might, it might have been said, but this is like, it just wasn't clear to what extent yeah. of what it is. Now it seems like she is. She's enhanced. So that throws a whole other angle on, on who she is mm -hmm. and what her power set might be. Uh, it doesn't seem to have been this, uh, you know, implant wasn't built with the idea of Violet wearing a whole lot of cybernetics, so it's starting to fail and starting to become just a weight on her. Uh, mm -hmm. Varma claims that it will take a week to arrange for a surgical team to give her a tune-up, and Violet, she ain't pleased with the weight. She's not used to waiting, you know how she is. This is true. Uh, Dom, you remember Dom, the dude from earlier in the season series? Yeah. Uh, he was Hemsley's old bodyguard, boyfriend or whatever, uh, Violet's prisoner chained to a toilet or whatever. Yep, that, I remember yeah, him yeah. from that, really, yeah. <laughs> He's here as Varma's assistant, and this is a plot point that I'm not sure we know happened. I, I don't remember it either. Uh, I Last I, I remember, remember he was chained to that toilet. I don't, you know what I mean. I, I don't remember so anything too. else happening, but all right. Because didn't didn't he have tea with Violet's mother and then just disappear? I thought. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, I don't remember it happening, but it does not mean that it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, he shows Violet uh, footage regarding the murder in the parking structure, which is kind of a dick move. Yeah. Uh, this causes Violet to hop off the examination table and head back to work, despite Varma's objections. And uh, as uh, Violet leaves, Dom posits that Varma has fallen in love with Violet, 
Because of course she has. Well, you know, at least somebody had to say it outright. We didn't have to get do guesswork for the rest of you yeah. know, three issues. This is the uh, love interest. So now we go back to the more typical flashback we find in this series, back to the Gather House. There's a nun giving an exhibition of the success of her Atlanta, her Atalanta program. Uh, Atalanta comes from Greek mythology. Uh, King Iasus was disappointed to have a daughter instead of a son, and so he left the girl on the mountaintop to die. She survived, and that was Atalanta. Uh, to illustrate the success of the program, Violet's also on stage, lifting a whole lot of weight over her head uh, in what I thought was kind of a very um, Batman's origin kind of scene. I don't know. You know, mm. you know, you know what I'm talking about, where like you see him looking at the chemicals and like yep. he's lifting. It's similar. It wasn't the same, but it, it gave me vibes of that. Uh, after that, the nun hands her a pistol. Yeah, and then we hop back to the present, where Mother Panic is visiting the girl she'd rescued earlier from Hemsley at the hospital. Upon seeing her, the girl gives her a big hug, which Violet ain't sure how to respond to. Uh, after hesitating for a moment, she hugs the girl back. We get another symbolic panel of a butterfly caught in a spider's web. The, the girl tells Violet what she saw and asks her to kill the man who did it, just like she had killed Hemsley. Violet remembers not being able to pull the trigger, not to not to not to ever pull the trigger, actually, not to shoot the deer or to kill Hemsley, but just you know for her father, her father. perhaps. Only <laughs> special occasions. And I'm still not sure that she didn't kill Hemsley. It looked like she killed him when we read it. I I, but, uh, I left that thinking he was done, and I thought I thought we said as much. Like I guess we won't be seeing. This, <laughs> we, so we were too. like, this isn't the kind of book we expect the dead villain to come back over and over because it's not yeah. really it's not really a until now maybe she hasn't been fighting capes you know what i mean didn't she shoot him and then set his car on fire or something yeah i thought it was i thought it was a wrap like you know there was no coming <laughs> back but i guess uh yeah, we'll just take her fire. word for it i guess uh, i mean yeah. <laughs> she would know better than we do um after this mother panic leaves climbs to the roof of the hospital where she's parked her no name for it mother mobile her panic car Maybe her vulgar vehicle, her profane plane, her cuss carriage. These are some good ones, Chris. You really came up with some classics. Those, I, I have to say, those are all Chris names right there. Um, yeah. If you have any, you send them into the uh, podcast. If you have any ideas for her vehicle names yes. for it, they're they're all welcome. Anyway, when she gets there, we can see from across the way there's a dark cape kind of flitting behind the corner mm. of the roof. Hmm. Yeah, who could that be? Violet also sees this and goes into full on. Just Tourette's, like <laughs> just the f bombs are just flying out of her, like left and right. She freaks mm-hmm. out and uh, eventually does fly off in her uh, cussmobile, whatever the, it is. The cuss carriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now the issue wraps up with a continuation of the earlier flashback at Gather House. Uh, Violet is pointing the pistol at the nun, who is goading her into pulling the trigger. And uh, we see some of the trials that she's been put through at Gather, uh, including injections, beatings, confinement, dudes in spooky masks. Yeah. Uh, and still, she cannot pull the trigger. Uh, we can tell she's affected by the thoughts because there are tears streaming down her face, but she still cannot fire the piece. Uh, the nun's presentation is uh, apparently successful because uh, a room full of well-dressed people stand up and applaud. That's right. She cannot break her prime directive, unlike RoboCop in the movie RoboCop. Hmm. So uh, we'll see what happens there. You know, I, I enjoyed the story. Yeah. Uh, fairly well. I thought, you know, we both think the cursing was a little superfluous. Bit the, much. Uh, the art style, though, was, was nice and clean and, yeah. and straightforward. And I appreciate that. It, you know, this isn't, I don't know if we call this beautiful, but effective. 
Definitely. You know, sure, I mean, this, this, sure. this is perfectly fine as far as I'm concerned for this kind of a book and for a lot of other comics out there. I'll tell you what, uh, that could probably use a uh, little cla- <laughs> little clarity in their storytelling. Because it seemed like a like a somewhere in between uh, Sean Crystal and uh, Tommy Lee Edwards, maybe leaning a little bit closer to Tommy Lee Edwards, I but so, uh, yeah. a lot less scratchy. And uh, we could tell who everybody was here. Definitely. So that that's a plus. Yeah, and we we have had trouble with that in the past. Yeah, it, you know, it has a kind of gritty style to it, but it's not splotchy. It's 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 well rendered. You know, good job. Sure. Um, I would have liked to see more of the villain in the coroner's bag. Yeah, I, I thought that was a. I thought that was actually a really cool like. That's a really nice outfit, visual. You know, a nice yeah. visual, and, and I guess that's a good thing from the comic book story point that I want to see more. You know, but sure, I felt like that there was there was room for another beat with him. You know what I mean? Another peeking around a corner or blood spattered note. I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm something too formulaic, but uh, <laughs> it was pretty good. I just want to run down the backup real quick. Cause I hate to leave it totally, but oh, boy. this one was Gotham radio scene seven. And this one, Chris, I did read it. It really seems to recap everything we've learned about, which is really not much. It's a bunch of suspects in this murder of that one Batman friendly radio DJ that was replaced by the Batman hating radio DJ with the American flag bandana. Oh man. And that's it. So maybe the next issue is the, we find out who done it. It was like it was like uh, up between three people, one of them being the Batman hating DJ. Uh, I, so it's too bad that my copy came a few pages short. <laughs> they Damn. fell off, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't blame you. You know, it, it, it's it, the story's kind of a mess, and it might be something when all collected. I think the problem is it's eight an eight part backup story is too long, man. It is on a monthly comic, and even a, even a bi weekly though, I'd be like, that's too long for a backup. Uh, a single story, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, those should really be three parts. You know, really, they should be, I think, one, one or two parts. One and done. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 just dragging, and I've forgotten details, and I just I stopped caring a long time ago. Uh, then we also have the same Tamra Bun villain villain coloring thing, and the same Gerard Way note that we had. Uh, I guess it's all we can say these are all in May. The month, yeah. Yeah, so that's fine. Um, I was good with it. But what was your score at the end of at the end of the day? Well, I gave it a seven point five. Uh, I, I I would figure like on on some other websites that's a really bad grade. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a it, this was a fair book. It was yeah. a it was not what a <laughs> it's not the same book that I was dreading a few months ago. But it's also not one that I'm you know foaming at the mouth over. It's not uh, it's not one I'm you know anxiously awaiting but i am okay reading the next issue yeah uh, i'm not i'm not looking to bury myself somewhere to get away from it Uh, and like Uh, i say i am interested to see more of this coroner character sure you know like that that seems cool and like there are a couple of elements that seem cool just again the main character is like the least cool part (laughs) yeah because i I could see the coroner being uh being taken by the batman team eventually i could see that character showing up just just because he looks so cool sure or we say he it might be a she that's true um but uh you know i did like a few of the things they added here i did like how violet hesitated before hugging that girl because she doesn't really know how to emote yeah i thought that was pretty cool uh humanized her a bit just like we saw her kind of lose her composure when her mother was talking to whoever she was talking to behind the door that one issue a couple months ago right it's uh just it, it, it's making her a lot less uh well she's still quite edgy but it's making her a little bit less edgy maybe softer edged um, and uh, I do like the idea that her body's breaking down 
because yeah. that adds a whole new uh, that just adds a whole new layer to the story. Where I mean, we 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 looked at the uh, at the sales figures for these books a few weeks ago, and uh, none of them are that healthy. No. So I mean, this could end at any time, and it could end with her body just giving up. That would be interesting. I mean. It like, could be right. Yeah. I mean, that could that could be her legacy is that she, you know, died doing the right thing because her body couldn't couldn't keep up with her. And it was something that happened to her body at the gather house. It was nothing she did to herself. But it, could it still, was it could uh, still be her ultimate redemption. Sure. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like she does some final sacrifice or whatever. Learns learns what it means to be a hero and tones down the curse words. <laughs> Especially because she knows it now. She knows that her body's breaking down. Yeah. So it's uh, that adds a, a whole new layer of uh, altruism to her. It's she's actually doing things knowing that that she is suffering. I mean, we'll see, we'll right. see. Maybe this will last. It'll become kind of a background thread going for like several arcs, or you know, the next few arcs, or maybe sure. in the next issue they'll like turn a twist a screw and she'll be back to. Uh, she'll be fine. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it depends how they play it, but it definitely does add. Another interesting kind of more desperate uh, element and a more dire aspect mm-hmm. to the proceedings, you know. For, yeah, for, some urgency. For my part, I would, uh, I'd say, like, like I said in the beginning, seven, seven issues in, we can no longer pretend to be brand new and not know somewhat what to expect from this series. Yeah. So knowing that and and knowing, you know, the kind of appeal that we think it's trying to have, or at least the audience that it might be reaching, I think it's doing a pretty good job now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's pretty solid. If you're really into mean heroes, then here's one for you. <laughs> we're like weirdly rude and mean heroes. Um, she wears a full face mask, otherwise we'd see her teeth uh, her her teeth gritting. That's right. We can we can really see her being like <laughs> like a total uh, jerk about things. 1990s. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? See how she has 900 rows you know teeth in her mouth. Um, <laughs> Yeah, she's probably always squinting all the time under that mask. I have a feeling, you know. It's, it's no pupils. Yeah, you know. But uh, anyway, you know, I, I felt the same way as you. I feel like it's a seven point five out of ten. I think it's, that's what I would call a solid buy. You know what I mean? Like this sure. is this is a comic you should feel okay with uh, purchasing, checking out with impunity. Uh, I think you could probably could jump on here, although I don't know. Maybe maybe it would be. It might be too confusing. That first Maybe. arc didn't do anything for me, though, as far as explaining things. So garbage tank, yeah. <laughs> I would say jump on this. I would say jump on number four, you know, yeah. and read from there. But uh, you know, it, it, only if this kind of thing piques your interest. I also got I got to give it up to them. Uh, you know, for a book that takes place in Gotham City, they have not pimped the bat hardly at all. No. Uh, and that's that's a common complaint. Is like, oh, of course DC is going to set this you know, Gotham City or Gotham City adjacent so that Batman can walk on screen and, you know, drink a latte mm-hmm. or whatever. This was the first time that they've done that. They had Batwoman. Mm-hmm. But even that was spark, you know, very sparsely was, used. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so just like glancing blow at that point. Mother Panic is definitely, you know, standing on its own two feet and I, I gotta give it props for that. But uh Absolutely. So it's, it's nice. I think it's nice that this book's kind of turned around for us. It hasn't become something to dread no, I still would be at the bottom for me of the five you know, Absolutely. books. Absolutely. Uh, although you know, Jim pointed out something which actually may be hmm. on this very episode of the podcast that exists. Do you think that people's attitude towards Mother Panic have improved partly because of Doom Patrol's delays? You know what's funny? I, everywhere I've looked for reviews, people love the hell out of this book. 
Yeah. They always have from day one I, from I, Jump Street. They liked Mother Panic. And I, don't I don't think don't it's understand related it. to Doom Patrol. I think I think this has a very specific audience. It does. You and I are not that audience, but but no. we can appreciate that that audience exists. And uh, <laughs> there are I mean there are plenty of, there are lots of comics for that kind of vampire darkness. Uh, I don't know what to call it. Angry teenage vibe. Cut myself the feel. Exactly. I, I think I think you you're more in tune with that, but. Uh, <laughs> I uh, it, it's 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 not bad. That's all I'm saying. You know, it's, no, no, I don't. It's definitely cool. my least favorite of the five, but believe me, there are many worse comics out there, and I know because I review a few of them. <laughs> Next week, though, is a fifth week. And, it is. Uh, but not even for that reason. There's no young animal at all. There's barely any comic book. So I'm not sure what mm-hmm. we're gonna do, but we'll probably come up with something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have the list for the week after, but I did see. You know, July is Doom Patrol, I think late July, 720, whatever. Something, yeah. Uh, that's the one shot with the All Reds. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a solicit for Doom Patrol 8 in August. How about that? So, take that. That's, I'm not giving that's, you any Take promises. that with a shaker of salt. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Make sure you have <laughs> plenty of salt on hand for that one, but... <laughs> We could we could be back on a schedule after July with Doom Patrol, which would be nice, especially opening a new arc, you know. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? No, I think that'll do us. Well, until next time, I want everyone to keep it young and animalistic. Okay, 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 OBC. No more focus, no pose, got a career And I like your position, let's party in here And I'm ready to talk naughty and Veronica's here She erotic and it's hot, so I Heineken beer Pull it to the side and invite her to cheers Pull up a chair, nigga swear, no drama Prepare for a player who working with a monster I ain't got time to waste Let's vacate the place, shed blinds and drapes Grind to your face in the grind Once in every Welcome back to the Young Animal segment on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. We have a Young Animal book this week. Look at that. Holy smokes. We, we don't have to just talk about general comic things, <laughs> history, <laughs> and, and, and nonsense. Uh, we have uh, Shade the Changing Girl. Why don't you tell us what, what the title is? Certainly. It's cha- so da, 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 Shade the Changing Girl number nine. This is uh, the second part of In the City. The story title is Band on the Run. It's written by Cecil Castellucci uh, and illustrated by Molly Zarcone, Andy Parks, and Kelly Fitzpatrick. Uh, same creative team as uh, we've you know become accustomed to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do pick up right where we left off. Shade has arrived at the Gotham Embassy, where she is waiting to see the rock band The Sonic Booms perform. The crowd is quite uh, mature, but we'll get to them in a bit. 
there's also a couple of skeletons there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. I don't, doing know, I don't know what that's about, but I guess, I guess you know, you reach a certain age, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, you just decompose. No I, thought it was, <laughs> I thought maybe it was a couple of people in costumes, but it's pretty clear it's not. It's, you know, they're they, just a couple of skeletons. They, they count skeletons among their fans, that's all. They do, they do. Uh, now, Shade, you know, we learned earlier that she is an avian, and they are hoarders. They, uh, they steal things, they take things, they like trinkets. Mm. So uh, she's instantly drawn to the merch table. She does, you know, kind of what I do at the uh, comic store. She does a give me one of everything and then uh, decks herself out in some really tacky band wear. Yeah, she immediately becomes the dork at the at the show that wearing yeah. a t-shirt from the band and she, she revels <laughs> in it, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, she'd wear it to school the next day too, probably. I, she I, went. That's right, exactly. She's like, oh, I, just, <laughs> I just went to the show. Uh, you know, I didn't get the impression at the end of the last issue, and we only got a little bit of them, that this was a you know, band from the 50s. An old band, you know? yeah. But uh, I guess we should. it should have made sense since they were on that Life with Honey backup. But anyway, we, we know now. So this, I guess this is sort of like a reunion of a third-rate Rolling Stones for them or something like that. There, there's a there's a Life with Honey backup? <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you about it some other time, Chris. Oh, Moore. good, good. <laughs> so finally it is time for the Sonic Booms to take the stage. And, wow, they are looking real old. Uh, Shay doesn't know quite what to make from, of this. Last time she saw them on television, they looked, you know, perfectly young. Uh, come to think of it, everyone in the crowd looks kind of old when she looks around. She doesn't really understand. She's troubled, but before she can think too hard, a curtain opens on the screen as a portrait of her favorite actress, the Life with Honey star, Honey Rich. Her jubilation is short-lived, however, as Sonic Boom reveals the news that Rich is currently quite ill and dedicates their next song to her. Yeah, and Shade still doesn't quite understand. A fellow Boomy, which is what, you know, they call their their fans, (laughs) (laughs) informs her that, you know, people get old. Uh, She stops to think and realizes that Meta is 50 light years away, and Life with Honey was aired 50 years ago. So uh, I guess what we get from that is that Earth television from 50 years ago finally makes it to Meta now. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, light years don't actually work that way. And, but we'll and, go with it. <laughs> and, you know, if television transmissions aren't exactly light, but that is, I think that is exactly what they're saying. Yeah, that that's they, the they saw these old shows new, and they thought that's what the Earth was like. Now, this is too much for uh, Shade to handle. She's overcome with, an emo- with emotion and has to sit down. She kind of does that thing where she puts her head in, in her lap, you know, just like yeah. cradling and rocking. Uh, an oldster sidles up there and tells her that uh, they come to see the band out of nostalgia, not because, you know, they love the music as a contemporary sound. Uh, they hear the music with their old ears, but they see with their young eyes. Yeah, that gives Shade an idea. She's going to make everyone at the embassy young again with her magic and vest powers. Uh, some of them are younger than others. Uh, the Sonic Boom's guitarist is now a baby, though I took that to mean I, you can't get a good shot of him. But, you know, it's real common when these these old bands come back that one of the members is either dead or sick or, you know what I mean? Yeah, so they get a younger they guy to fill. So I think, that's, I think that might have been the younger, or maybe not. Maybe her madness power is so various that some people turn into teenagers some people turn into babies but i I, that's i took it the first way i thought it was maybe they had a they replaced their guitarist with a younger fella and he just so happened to be you know 15 16 years younger than them so he got baby but it is pretty funny to see him all of a sudden like crawling and and, uh yep on top of a guitar yep uh former elders they are thrilled to be young again they party like it's 19 50 or 60 something whenever this is you know these bands are supposed to be relevant i would let's say 55 just to get in the middle of there uh as the booms play and the venue is filled with psychedelia coming off the m vest or m coat really 
uh, one of the Nuevo Young happens to look a lot like Shade herself. I don't know if that means anything, but uh, Shade does take her ID uh, and essentially is good, intends to assume her identity. Mm-hmm. Now, after the show, the DH teens begin running amok. They go feral, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shift over to Valleyville, which is two words. I thought Valleyville was one word, but uh, it's two words here. Uh-huh. Um and this is, of course, where Megan came from, Loma, Shade, whoever. Uh, Megan's mother has brought River and Teacup into Shade's bedroom to see if they might find anything that would tip them off as to where she might have gone off to. They find Megan's files on her old cla- on her classmates, and this is the old dead Megan, yeah. the, the evil, bitchy one. Uh, and then they also argue a little bit about Teacup being kind of an asshole to Shade at the dance. A big uh, time, you know, sort of luring her, <laughs> luring her into a big prank, you know. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, they spot a stuffed hippo doll. And on, a, on on it is one of those, I, I call them paisleys, those little psychedelic things. Yeah, they, I mean, they're like, or they're like the circle, circle, dot, dot kind of thing, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, if you're reading Shade, you know. You, you know what it is. Pa- I think paisleys <laughs> is a good word, is a fine word for it. Sure, sure. So that's what we'll call them. One of those psychedelic paisleys that, that drips off a shade when she goes trancy is on the hippo doll, mm. and they actually see it. So uh, I, I'm not sure if that answers one of our questions or if we've already answered that question and I forgot. We do, but it's, uh, it's, it's never, to me, my memory, it's, it's, it's been never nebulous. been. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they seem to react to it. Sometimes they don't. I, I, think, I think for us, it's basically like if you were talking to someone and one of these booped out of their head, you wouldn't be able to continue talking to them. You would say, what the hell is that? You know, like, <laughs> excuse me, sir, something something psychedelic is falling out of your face, you know. But everyone seems to treat this it's so normally that we assume it can't be seen. So it, it can be. I'm willing to yes. accept that at least at times it can be seen. They're, they're reacting to it now. Yes, at least they can see it. Um, and they try to use it to communicate with their missing friend, and uh, we don't know if it worked or not. Yeah, it's, it's unclear. I have a feeling it's going to come to bear later on, but we're not we're not sure yet. Yeah. Uh, immediately we go over to Shade. She's on the step of the Gotham Library, which I, I thought was, you know, the front sort of looks like the New York Library, but if you notice, the lion is a griffin. Yeah. Not a lion. Anyway. <laughs> I thought that was a, a cute little thing. Uh, the sky's all paisley filled, but that, I think that's just Shade's own doing. I don't think that's related to Teacup and River, but it's, uh, yeah. as usual, difficult to say exactly. She, but she's making the world trippy, I think is what's happening here, wherever she goes. Um, inside the library, Shade plans to conduct some research looking for Honey Rich. She sits at one of Earth's ancient computers, and uh, at this library it probably is... Actually ancient, uh, and doesn't really know how to operate it. She's almost offended by the thought of having to use her hands. On Meta, everything's connected to the brain. It's way easier. Um, and so, but she finally figures it out. It's, I like the scene where the librarian shows her, and she looks like so bored. She just has her, her head laying. Her head's on the, on the table. On the She's table. like, oh, I don't want to use this computer. <laughs> but uh, she looks at the monitor and, and gets some headlines to pop up behind her head that she's looking at, so we can see them also. And the headlines are: Honey, missing myth. Teenage Rampage, Honey Sick, Missing Something, SZ, we can't really see the rest of it. Uh, Somehow from this, she's figured out uh, where she is. I don't know yes. how, but okay. Me either, but we'll, we'll go with it. Uh, <laughs> we we shift over to Meta, where our, where our old friend LaPuck is still being screwed with by Rackshade's boyfriend. Or was that girlfriend? I don't remember. Uh, what's his or her face? And uh, Hellboy's sister, of course. Uh, a pair of paisleys float over his head, but he refuses to break. Somehow, the baddies are able to deduce that Loma is on Earth. 
Maybe the same, uh, okay. maybe the same way that she deduced that Hardy Rich that, was somewhere. You know, that's <laughs> I think maybe. Special Medin ability, I don't know. <laughs> it's that off-panel uh, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we, we pop back over to the library, and uh, Shade follows her paisleys into an atlas, where the bomb marks her next destination. Uh, it's like a big, you know, mushroom cloud bomb, yeah. and I think we saw something about that earlier, but I don't think we understood it then, and I still kind of don't. It, it, um, it, you know, now that I'm, you say it now, it's kind of sparking a memory, but it might be nothing. I mean, this this looks literally like <laughs> a cartoon be. mushroom cloud. Yeah, like so, Wile E. Coyote hit the ground or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. Now, her excitement is, is off-putting to the library patrons and staff who call 911. <laughs> you know, not, not just the police, but the emergency number <laughs> to report her as one of the feral teens currently running amok. And, and listen, believe me, hating teenagers, I understand, but I, call, call 911, it seems like a little, little reactive. I don't understand. So she's a little just, much. She's just sort of like standing around and, you know, hugging an atlas. With stars on her head, head. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back to Meta, the guys are prepping a scout to send to Earth before they engage in a full-blown mission, and uh, the dude Et, the, the scout they send, I think it's a dude, but who knows, um, is an odd one. They refer to the scout as she, but looks like a dude, it's yeah. kind of weird, it kind of looks like he's wearing, uh, like I don't know, an Adam Strange outfit or something. A bit. Uh, either way, whoever, whatever the gender, the scout arrives right as the police show up to round up those terrorizing teens that uh, Shade created. And the DH boomies and Shade are loaded into the paddy wagon. The former elders decide that maybe being a teenager again, that was a good, nice hyphen use right there. Yes. Uh, per Bob Haney. Again, uh, maybe being a teenager isn't all, it ain't all it's cracked up to be. And so Shade just reages them back to their original ages. Yes, and that's a good thing because one of them is a lawyer and he'd sue the city. Uh, <laughs> the only ones left in the wagon now are Shade and the Metton Scout, who looks even weirder now. The, their face is like morphing and dripping. It's a, it's a pretty ghastly scene. Uh, the Scout turns into a puddle and then into a hole, like a cartoon type of hole, like you'd almost expect like Bugs Bunny to pop his head out of it. Like an acme uh, hole that you could like, yeah. like lay like down and Like you could pull out of a box it. and lay it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, Shade sees this hole and does what any uh, any curious cat would do and hops on in, at which time it would appear that the Metton authorities lose the scent. They don't know where to find her. Um, Shade travels underground across the United States and pops out in Los Alamos, New Mexico, which just happens to be the exact place she might find Honey Rich. Yeah, she should have made a left toy in Albuquerque, I bet. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a thing, but when that guy, when the scout's face is morphing, you know, especially mm. the first panel, it reminds me of her Metin boyfriend. Okay. Kind of panda-esque, you know, black eye. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's a real, you know, that was the, when I first saw that panel, I was like, is that related? And my answer is, I wonder, I, I don't know if that's related, but <laughs> that, that is something I thought. And, and we'll see if that comes up later Then I am very prescient and great. But if not, yes, uh, then I'm just flat out wrong. Um, <laughs> of course, there is a backup that Chris, uh, he, he cannot actually see because it's sort of like a. He has a mental block for it, but I it's do, just, I do. just another life uh, episode of Life with Honey this time, highlighting the fact that Honey's 20 years younger than her husband. And in it, she and her friend open up a series of daycare centers but find the work too taxing, and I don't blame them. I wouldn't want, not no. want to take care of kids all day. 
Uh, I mean, the best part about it is this very uh, DiCarlo-looking Archie art. Uh, mm-hmm. um, although we were talking before, this this filter that they lay over it to make it look like a black and white television is just it gets it gets to be too much. I think uh, I don't think it, it should be yeah. over the whole thing. You know, one one time or when she's interacting with Shade in the regular comic, it makes sense, but it just gets to be grating uh, after a while. Certainly. But after that, there's a who's who on Becky Cloonan, some process pages for people that like that kind of thing, and uh, a letter from the young animal editor, Jamie S. Rich, and then we're all done with the issue. And we better get used to these who's who pages because we're probably going to be seeing them for the next six weeks. I have a feeling. You know, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you what, though, Chris, if they drop the other, you know, the backups in this, and especially in Mother Panic, which we really hate. Yeah. But they keep the who's who. I, I'll take that trade. If you, if you That'd write be a out, win, if, yes. If you'll write out three more pages, but we can, we'll have the who's who about all the great staff at Young Animal, uh, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Because the backups, uh, you know, I think I like this backup more than you, but I still hate it. <laughs> and and we uh, we can't stand the backup in Mother Panic. Oh. Uh, the backup in Cave Carson is this new thing. Is that the Skioli one or the the Skioli no, no. one is in that, is in was in Cave Carson? Right, that was in Cave Carson. Yeah. Now Cave Carson has become this uh, life with rocks thing, which is all right. That's right. That's so, right. I, I would rather have two more pages of comic. That's all. There's sure. There. But anyway, Absolutely. we're not talking about every comic in the line. We're talking about. <laughs> Shade the Changing Girl. So what do you think, Chris? I really liked it, but uh, I think it. Uh, I think I kind of projected myself into this story a little bit. Uh, I've got a bit of a soft spot for people wanting to be young again, even though I'm not anywhere near the age these people are. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, you're nearer than you think, buddy. Let me tell you, you're nearer to them than you are to the teenage side of things. I'll tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> I think I. <laughs> I think I got a little bit more out of this uh, than I would have otherwise. Um, this uh, it, it moved it moved our uh, like our subplots ahead a, a good deal with uh, the Valleyville folks and the Metton folks, and we're actually seeing some movement there. Uh, Shades time in Gotham is kind of just Shades time in Gotham. You had mentioned off the air it's kind of a one-off issue, and it very much is uh, as far as Shades concerned. Her, her part it, of it is, yeah. yeah. This was sort of a it's, fun little jaunt for her to like make people young and cause a little Gotham City havoc. Yeah, just showing what she could do with her powers, showing, you know, that with great power comes, you know, weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I gave this one an 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, everything, you know, the nuts and bolts are here. The character is still ringing true. I still like the way Shade is written. And I definitely like to see uh, some good advancement, especially in the Metten story. Yeah. It seems like they're, they're coming close. And definitely we're going to see a convergence of the Mettons and then the people from Valleyville and... Uh, Shade are all going to be in the same place eventually, and that's going to be a big showdown. Um, but you know, I felt like this this issue was uh, I don't know a little thin as far as story went. It it didn't really grab me that much. Maybe we spent a little too long in Gotham City for me. Uh, hmm. But but I really don't have any hard complaint. I still enjoyed the heck out of the issue. I did definitely like to see Shade using her powers, which is something we don't really see. It's, her powers just sort of happen around her. Yeah. Uh, this was something where she was like, I'm going to do something and did it. You know what I mean? It was like, all right, well, now we know. Plus, even the the, the Paisley drip, to find that out, I was like, all right, we're getting something. I wasn't really clear. What. Yeah, some answers. Yeah. Early on, there was all the psychedelic stuff, and we didn't really even know if anyone could see it, you know? And it's yeah. still not clear when that happens or not. But maybe that's part of the part of the M code. Myself, I think I'd give this an 8 out of 10, but I would feel pretty good about hmm. it. It's uh, It was sure. definitely a solid issue, and but I am – Glad to see her move on, go somewhere else, and uh, we'll yes. see how she does 
down in New Mexico. Now, next week, we'll actually have another Young Animal book, set issue number what? two. Yeah, that's right. We have, believe it or not, <laughs> two solid weeks of Young Animal books. We have uh, what? Bug, Bug the Adventures of Forager next week, and then following week, we have Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. So we'll be able to talk about comics for the next two weeks straight, if you can, if you can believe it, folks. I don't think that's happened for a little while. I don't think it's ever happened. We've been doing three weeks in a row. Yeah, I know. It's, it seems like so weird, but it'll all fall apart after that. Don't worry. Probably. Uh, I think Mother Then we'll Panic go a month comes, and a half. Yeah. I think she goes comes at the end of the month, and uh, I know Doom Patrol doesn't come till the end of July. Yeah. So we got a while to go for that, but uh, I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? Nope. Think that'll do it. Well, until next time, folks. I want you to keep it young and animalistic. See ya. Let's dance in sky. Let's dance for a while. Heaven can wait, we're only watching the skies Hoping for the best, but expecting the worst Are you gonna drop the bomb or not? Let us die young or let us live forever We don't have the power, but we never say never Sitting in a sad pit, life is a short trip The music's for the sad man Can you imagine when this race is won? segment on the Weird Science DC Comics.com podcast. My name is Reggie. My name is Chris. And this week we have a young animal book to read. Hey! Today. Yeah, we're actually talking about a young animal book, and it is one that has been highly anticipated by a lot of people, including myself and Chris, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Bug, The Adventures of Forager, number two. Storytellers Lee Allred and Michael Allred. Colorist is Laura Allred. Letterer Nate Pecos of Blambot, covered by Michael and Laura Allred. And there was a variant that was not really anything to write home about. Either of these covers are really anything to go nuts over. Nah. By uh, Evan Doc Shaner. I don't know. I see Evan Doc Shaner. I expect more. Sure. Uh, cover price is $3.99. It went on sale last Wednesday, June 14, 2017. So if you remember the last issue, Bugs stepped through at the very end, General Electric's magic multiversal hole. It was sort of like a Bugs Bunny Looney Tunes hole. Uh, now he's emerged into a snowy landscape high in the Himalayan mountains. And using that shield thing as a sled, kinda, he's standing on it, he snowboards down the mountain and right into the sights of Sarge Clay of the Losers. 
Yeah, he first appeared in GI Combat number 138. That was cover dated October, November 1969, created by Robert Kaniga, a ragtag army regiment that always that's always down on their luck. That is the losers. I know those guys. Yeah, that's uh, that's like Sar that's Sergeant Rock and the Easy Company, where nothing is easy, right? No, that's, no, 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 not not, not them. Not that's them. but it's, it's they got the same exact. Uh, no, it, uh, no, it's not uh, not them. Not right. them. Right. So uh, Sarge thinks Bug is an evil robot, which you know. I have to can't blame him really. Uh, Certainly. Bug does some acrobatics while the other loser that's there, Gunner McKay of the losers, fires at him. And there's also Sandman and uh, the original Blue Beetle is there. Yes, uh, the Sandman, Wesley Dodds. He first appeared in Adventure Comics number 40. That was cover dated July 1939. He was created by Gardner Fox and Burt Christman. Uh, initially an adventuring detective in a gas mask and a trench coat with a gas gun. Later he got a harpoon gun. <laughs> This version of the character is in purple and yellow. This refers to the Joe Simon and Jack Kirby revamp of the character. This is right off the success of Captain America. He debuted in Adventure Comics number 69, cover date December 1941. Yeah, we saw that uh, that Kirby and Simon revamp of Sandman, the last issue, right? With a different, different, different revamp. Was that a different Sandman? No, no, same Sandman, uh, sort of, kind of. It, it's 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 a bit complex. Uh, uh, this is the Golden Age one. Or one of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll go with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, uh, the other fella, Dan Garrett, the Blue Beetle, first appeared in Mystery Men Comics number one, cover date August 1939, drawn by Charles Nicholas, and possibly, but not probably, <laughs> scripted by Will Eisner. Yeah, it was a weird thing, kind of. It's kind of a rumor. But and, I, and I, yeah. I thought it was worthwhile to put it in there, but it seems it seems unlikely because he wasn't really a scripter; he was really a plotter. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, now uh, Garrett was a rookie cop that took one of my favorite vitamins, vitamin two X. Yeah, you make sure you got that every day. <laughs> to my orange juice. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> this makes him super strong. Uh, Kirby worked on the character a few times for Fox Feature Syndicate uh, through the uh, Eisner Iger packaging studio. Yeah, the comics packaging. I, we, we we all know this guy, the Blue Beetle. He's got that spaceship, that round spaceship, right? He flies around in. That different, like... different, different Blue Beetle. What? Now, this is the original Blue Beetle. Isn't that the one from Charlton Comics, the original you're, one? You're thinking too hard. You're making this too complicated. All right, hold on. Now, who's this blonde kid over here with the acne in the, in the bottom right of the page? Oh, him. That's uh, Sandy the Golden Boy. He's Sandman's sidekick and his friend Diane Belmont's nephew. Diane Belmont's not his girlfriend. No, 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 no. Actually, before Sandy came along, she was kind of his sidekick. Uh, she would actually drive Sandman everywhere, and they would help him on cases here and again. So he has two sidekicks. I guess. Uh... What? This is the most confusing comics lineage I ever heard in my life. Ain't it? And we haven't yeah. even gotten a crisis yet. Um, <laughs> now, anywho, Sandy debuted in the same issue of Adventure Comics that uh, begat the purple and yellow Sandman costume. In fact, Sam Sandy, in the uh, original Kid Flash style, just kind of wears the same costume. Same deal. Smaller in the size. Dryer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, back to the comic book at hand, without talking about these other comic books, Sandy tells everyone to stop fighting Bug because he's mistaken him for the Red Bee. Okay, Rick Raleigh. The Red Bee debuted in Hit Comics number one, July 1940. He was created by Tony Bloom and Charles Nicholas. Uh, Assistant District Attorney Raleigh wears a red costume and fights Nazis with a stinger gun. And, of course, trained bees. Yeah, pretty awesome to think about. I don't believe Kirby drew this ever, but I think it was picked because 
It looks, they look similar, basically. Yeah, it, the it, design isn't too far that's off. That's what yeah. it was, and, and we're in the golden age. So, and there's also, I, I like the, there's like a satire above a Time magazine, but it says hit, mm-hmm. and he's on the cover of it. He's fighting a swordfish. Sandy also explains that he fights swordfish and keeps a trained pet bee named Michael inside of a belt pouch. So tell me that you're not going to go out looking for those red bee comics now, folks. We all want to read them. <laughs> Uh, Sarge demands Bug take off his mask to prove he's not a real, an evil robot. And what do you know? He ain't. He's just a guy. Just a dude. Yeah. And Sarge tries to communicate with the other soldiers in the losers. However, his radio is busted. So he tosses it over to Bug to see if he can fix it. And Bug, being who he is, he makes the only thing he's capable of making. <laughs> yeah. He turns this into a uh, ramshackle mother box. Yeah. I, don't you, uh, do you ever feel like if he handed him his shoe, he would have handed back a mother box? It doesn't matter I what think it, so. <laughs> it's only yeah, a bowl of soup. It's, yeah, it's a mother go. box. It's a mother box. Uh, now, uh, Bug shows that the mother box can also clear up Sandy, the, the Golden Boy's acne. Yeah. Uh, you know, since it can fix Orion's crusty apocalypse face and make him a, a handsome, dapper dude, certainly it can handle some blemishes. Um, it also makes everyone warm, so the heroes don't have to wear coats over their costumes. Hmm, pretty convenient for that, huh? Certainly, oh, certainly. Geez. So now they're all, we can see them all in all their glory. It doesn't make the any of the losers take off their coats. You notice that there, Chris? Yep. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so the mother box spews a film reel in the air that shows the losers debriefing for this mission uh, with what they were told. It's also a hidden Tibetan village called Nanda Parbat that has a magic metal. It's now been taken over by General Electric and his evil robots for nefarious purposes, mainly to get that magic metal. There's an allusion to something terrible General Electric did to Cleveland. I couldn't find anything story-wise that in continuity, but who knows? Uh, we can just take it take it at face value. He wrecked Cleveland somewhere along the way. Uh, so the losers have been sent into Nanda Parbat with a crack bazooka team and a couple of mystery men as backup. Yes, and Nanda Parbat is a fictional city in the DC Universe. It's the home of the of Ramakrishna and her monastery, and sometimes uh, has a League of Assassins there too. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? It's a, you know, it's a it's a holy land and a place for the assassins. Um, it first appeared in Strange Adventures number 205. This is October 1967, created by Arnold Drake and Carmine Infantino. Uh, all of it was really created as some of the backstory for Dead Man, a character who isn't in this story, uh, though. Yeah. He did. He did show up in panel last issue as part of a, as part of the bugs uh, little trip. Yeah, but, it's. Uh, it's he, he, you're right. So there is some connection, but he, since he's not in this issue, I, let's just drop that for now. <laughs> enough, enough characters going on and running around in here. Yeah, and, and I, I was starting to think that maybe the Cleveland that he wrecked wasn't the town, but maybe uh, uh, someone else. Uh, oh. Oh, you're thinking. Actually, that's true. It could very well be. You're right. Now, uh, Bug figures that General Electric is here uh, in in his past searching for, how are we saying this again? Auricalcum? Ori, Ori Calcum, yeah. Ori Calcum. Uh, now, everyone's confused, just like we are. So, uh, Bug reaches for the Ori Calcum whistle given to him by the Sandman. Wait, but that, isn't Sandman right here, Chris? Oh, uh, there's Sandman. This uh, is, uh, we're talking. We're talking Garrett Sanford here. This is the Bronze Age fellow who we saw last issue. Whatever. I, I can't follow it anymore. <laughs> now, uh, Bug, lo- he's lost the whistle. He goes to look for it. He can't find it. At the same time, Sarge Clay is about 100 yards away from the rest of them, and he finds a magic whistle in the snow. Just then, a gun-wielding robot that looks similar to General Electric, except female? Uh, okay. Maybe. A female robot? Why not? Uh, and two awesome plug-headed robots. I really like the design of these robots. Uh, they look cool. They just look like, uh, you know, uh, bodies with plugs sticking out of their heads. It's, it's pretty awesome. 
They appear and accost the uh, Sarge. Uh, Bugs jerry-rigged mother box senses something's wrong, and it, it leads them all over to the scene of the capture where there's an obvious signs of a scuffle. Gunner McKay suggests the abominable, abominable snowman carried him off. Blue Beetle chastises him over, and you get the impression this is a recurring discussion they've had over the existence of the abominable snowman. Beetle suggests that if it isn't National Geographic, it doesn't exist. That's National Geographical. Oh, is that, is that what he says? I don't even know. <laughs> I really like this, this this little scene though, because at this time, yeah, you're right, National Geographical. Uh, at this, and and they have like a picture that looks like the old National Geographic. Covers uh, the way yeah. they used to be set up. With the yellow border. At, the, at this time, pretty much everyone of any reasonable means was reading this this magazine. Certainly. Not only for the uh, potential for seeing breasts, uh, which for <laughs> many for many young men, as I understand, that was their first glimpse, but because it really was like the only way to, to see what was going on. There were so many discoveries in the 20s and 30s and 40s. You know, it was like a new animal, a new a new tribe, a new civilization every month. So. Uh, I like a little callback, a little, little golden age callback to something that was really happening in the Absolutely. time. So, uh, taking, tracking some scraps of cloth, the team takes off after Sarge Clay, and they come upon the entrance to Nanda Parbat, which is guarded by legions of plug-headed robots. And here on the ridge, we meet the Bazooka Boys, who are Brooklyn Brand and Buddy Blankenship. Now, at first, I thought this was another weird, you know, DC Army team, but after some careful thought, we figured out that Brooklyn Brand is clearly a relative of Boston Brand, aka Dead Man, possibly his father. We don't, you know, who knows, his uncle. We don't know. And uh, looking into it more, uh, so Phil Blankenship is Steve Trevor's and Diana Prince's superior on the Wonder Woman TV show from 1977. So Buddy Blankenship might be his father. It's it could is, be. This is implied, but there's def this is definitely the connection that that is being made here, and I'm, I'm glad we figured it out, because originally I had, I don't know, nothing about the, anyway. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that that's their thing, but uh, you know, they're just guys with bazookas that don't even actually factor into the, much of the story. Um, Bugs suggests they go look for a back entrance, while Sarge thinks it's a stupid idea. Bug takes off anyway, so Sandman directs Sandy the Golden Boy to follow him while they think of a more tough guy way to bust into Nanda Parbat. And then... Something great happens. I don't want to mention now. We'll get back to it later on in the story. Certainly. Now uh, we join Bug and Sandy as they do find a back entrance to Nanda Parbat. It's a uh, narrow crevice uh, behind an unreadable plaque. As they slink along the wall, Bug that? tells... Uh, I, don't, I just want to huh? stop you. Can you read that at all? It looks like something backwards, no. maybe, but it, not. It's weird. It's, it's like an odd... Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, it's like almost like a like a Roman hieroglyph, you know? It's like a mixture of words it and is, symbols. It is. I, I see symbols. a little bit of Arabic. I see a little bit of... Yeah, Arabic. That's yeah, okay. it's, it's all over. All right. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't, like... Uh, illiterate or something. <laughs> no, no, no. No, we gotta, we gotta like, uh, we gotta soak it in water, put it in a mirror. Exactly. And maybe it'll show up. Uh, now, as they slink along that wall, it's a, you know, that tiny crevice. Uh, Bug tells Sandy how World War II tells out. You know, he's uh, spoiling. He's giving him the spoiler alert here. Kind of uh, good. <laughs> it's a good thing that Sandy doesn't uh, doesn't believe it. He's incredulous to the whole thing. Uh, uh, they come upon quite a scene here. Uh, an open cavern where two plug-headed robots are dragging Sarge away. Ramadas is kept in a cage. The female General Electric robot surveys the scene, and the other losers are already here uh, mining. Yeah, and one of them even says, whoever named this place Namby Pamby sure pegged it, which I like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, uh, General Electric himself walks into the place, as well as the teddy bear carrying girl named Kazuko from our uh, first issue, and he's bringing her on a leash. 
Uh, now, this is before he had his brain replaced by an electric thing. The IBM select, uh, select type typewriter. <laughs> yes. Who knows what that is? No, Chag. Uh, you'll be pleased to hear that Chagra is also here. Oh, I was, I was uh, happy to see him. <laughs> Chagra is the cloaked, mysterious character who raised Atlas. Uh, Atlas uh, and Chagra both first appeared in first issue special number one, April 1975, both by uh, Jack Kirby. Uh, we'll be meeting Atlas allegedly in the fall in the next issue, uh, so we will table that discussion for now. Yeah. Uh, General Electric, he's looking at the Orichalcum whistle retrieved from Sarge. So he can't make it work. He blows into it, nothing happens. So he just chucks it away like like just junk, which I thought was weird. It lands right next to Bug, which is convenient. He's hiding nearby. Uh, Chagra chastises General Electric for disrespecting the Orichalcum. You know, you better check yourself before you disrespect the Orichalcum. Or yourself. Exactly. Yes. Uh, the losers, uh, the ones that are in the, in the mine, are being made to mine coal. And that will become Orichalcum through transmutation? Apparently this is something Kazuko can do with her eyes. Fine, that's... Uh, Optical new, alchemy. New information, but that's fine. And she does it. She turns a whole carload of coal into a massive amount of Orichalcum. <laughs> and General Electric is positively giddy about it. But then, and Chris, you had to laugh at this scene. <laughs> In the very next scene, Chakra just yoinks it away. He just grabs... It's, it's on this yep. cart. He just See runs it. away later and, and strolls through a portal into the next issue. Like It's like, that's it. Oh, there goes your Orichalcum, buddy. Goodbye. You know, it just runs General away. Electric's like, no. Yeah. He's like, no! Like, what, what's going on? It's so funny. I thought it was... Uh, the, the losers take this opportunity to turn on their plug-headed, ro- plug-headed robot masters, but then General Electric threatens to shoot Kazuko if they keep making a fuss. Just then, Sandman, Blue Beetle, and Gunner McKay and the Bazooka Boys come riding in on a herd of abominable snowmen they encountered short, shortly after Sandy and Bugs scampered off. This is the thing I'd been, we didn't want to mention before, and we told you we'd come back to it later, and we have... And we did. Uh, then a domino appears and falls into Bugs' hand, something he foresaw as a moment of epiphany. Uh, first, he chucks the domino at General Electric. Yeah. <laughs> then he ch- that doesn't work. <laughs> doesn't do anything. No, it doesn't even make him angry. He's like, what? what? Uh, then he chucks he chucks the magic orichalcum whistle at him, and it lodges in his big, beautiful brain. Yeah. And uh, this is presumably why he will need the typewriter light bulb brain later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> General Electric is uh, clearly out of commission, and the abominable snowmen are making quick work of the plug-headed robots. The losers free Ramadas, she repays them by returning them to their headquarters and erasing all memory of what had just transpired. Uh, Because, as we all know, or we don't, Nanda Parbat must always be a mystery. Although it seems to be kind of easy in the DC universe to, you know, they never have a lot of trouble. To stumble across it. (laughs) People stumble across it all the time. Yeah, like the like the like the Garmin's, like uh, the, the Garmin's and the Tom Toms actually direct you right through it. Exactly, it's, like it's, a, it's the only thing there. It's, it's not like you have to, you know, there's like a, a bustling city there. You know, it's like there's only one place. But anyway, yeah, there's not even any cover on Google Earth in the DC universe. You can see right now. Uh, now, before that, they can be affected. Bug uh, grabs Kazuko and her teddy bear, and they leap through the portal into the next issue. Pretty convenient, that, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that next issue portal was a little silly. Um, it kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know what that was really about, sure. to be honest with you. But uh, I really did love the way uh, uh, Chagra grabbed the Orichalcum and just went, later, <laughs> just like ran through it. It was just so casual. I know. It's it, like, it, gotta it, go. And it happened like the next day, like like the minute the Orichalcum's there, it looks as happy, and then he loses it instantly. It just really made me laugh. Uh, you know... 
I, I did enjoy this issue, but I will say, and I wrote in my review that this is totally 100% a Jack Kirby love letter. Oh, 100%. If, yes. you are, if you don't like Jack Kirby, and there are people out there, believe me, Chris, that don't like him at all, or you, mm-hmm. don't, or you don't have any interest in like the well, appreciation, history, appreciation yeah. or anything, you know, don't bother. This is there's nothing here for you. You know what I mean? No. I, I think you would think this was a piece of junk, and I wouldn't blame you because it really is a lot of inside baseball, a lot of callouts. Certainly. It tickled us because we got a little bit of that, uh, especially with all yeah. the research we, we were doing. You know, it's all it's all kind of comes to bear and stuff like this. But I definitely would say, uh, if if you're not looking for a Kirby love letter, then avoid this comic. But in the end, I gave it a eight out of ten, and I was kind of uh, on the on the fence about a seven point five. But I did enjoy it personally, so I, I felt like I was justified to go that high. What about you, Chris? Uh, I'd probably go seven five. Um, I I love all the inside baseball because especially you know we're coming out of the new fifty two where there was no right. <laughs> there was no continuity and now we're suddenly being flooded with it and it's yep. just so refreshing. But at the same time, it's a uh, it, it doesn't it, it, there's like a certain lack of earnestness that I'm seeing. It's like it's it's like it really wants to be wacky. It really wants to like nudge you and be like, oh no, my big beautiful brain, not my brain. It's like what. Yeah. I don't like that kind of dialogue where it's kind of where it's kind of pointing out how silly it is. I mean, we know how silly it is. We don't need to be hammered with it. It's almost like a like a like the Batman 1966. It's kitsch. Yeah. It's very kitschy. Uh, and I think that's a purposeful, but I'm it, sure it is. It, it doesn't make it more pleasant for us. You know what I mean? That's a, <laughs> it, uh, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, um, and, and there is a lot of spaced out talking that. On second read, I was like, I could get a little more into, but it does seem a little indulgent. You know what I mean? It's just like, just, oh, yes. just say the phrase. You know, I know there's supposed to be <laughs> a communication problem between bug and, like, you know, human beings or earthlings, but it shouldn't be this. I don't know. I feel like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, he's not even trying. It's getting getting so silly. Yes. So, uh, but I think we I think we both came out of this with positive Oh, it's feelings. a positive, yeah. for sure. For so, sure. Uh, that's good. And, you know, we're looking further forward to the next one, which I guess will be out in July sometime. Next week, we have another comic, Cave Carson has a Cybernetic Eye, number nine, which we're definitely looking uh, forward to. Uh, getting into the double digits pretty I don't soon. No, I'm like, they said it couldn't be done. What is going to happen? Is this comic <laughs> going to be like, are we going to be talking about issue number 32 or even lower? Like, <laughs> the lofty heights of issue, you know, 50? Goodness gracious. Well, Spoiler alert, probably yeah, not. Probably not. But uh, <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely kept us going this long, so I have no reason sure. to uh, jump ship now. But uh, I think that's all we got for this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? I think that'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it young and animalistic.
everybody. Welcome back to the Young Animal segment on the WeirdScienceDCComics.com podcast. I am Reggie. I am Chris. And this week we have one of our favorite Young Animal comics to read for you today and go through. It's Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye, number nine. Written by mm-hmm. John Rivera, art by Michael Avon Oming, and Nick Filardi, backup by Mark Russell and Benjamin Dewey. So uh, we open up kind of a, uh, a departure from the story we've been getting. There's an idyllic uh, picnic scene. A couple of uh, green-skinned, bug-eyed humanoid lovers are sharing some food and wine in a lush meadow. One of them is bald. The other one has a shock of hair and definitely what I would call boobs, right? Yeah, they, they both have these odd, like, like a, he's got a cod piece. Yeah. And she has like two of them on her chest. They definitely seem to. Yeah, exactly. He has some sort of a uh, crotch. Apparatus. Apparatus. I don't want to assume anything about alien beings, but just just at a glance, this is you know it seems like one's the fellow, one's the lady. Uh, and so it's a beautiful lush meadow. The bald the bald one offers the one with the shock of hair uh, a ring, and uh, she reacts very excitedly. And then I, we can only assume that the bald one's proposing to marry the one with the hair and the boobs, right? That's what I would. Which is, I, it's kind of weird because like they have the same ritual that we have in the Western world on Earth. You know, you know what I mean? Like exactly. Even on our own planet, there are several engagement rituals, and yet they have centered on the one that, like, you know, it's, it's unique to North America and parts of Europe. But anyway. Absolutely. And uh, from here, we uh, pop back into the uh, alternate uh, parallel Fawcett City that's uh, been destroyed by Whisper Borstein. Uh, we got Wild Dog attempting to fix the, you know, their version of the Mighty Mole uh, while the Whisper zombies converge. Uh, Wild Dog is removing more mechanics than he's replacing. Uh, <laughs> the Mighty Mole is fixed and it's time to chase the Whisper. Uh, so uh, I suppose we're to figure that the Mighty Mole... Uh, just travels uh, through dimensions? You know, I mean, they kind of get into it later, but it's not really clear. I mean, also, maybe, like, Whisper leaves a hole as he blasts through dimensions. You can kind of, like, piggyback Follow. on that. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they make it seem like, to the next dimension. And I'm, yeah, no I'm big deal. Like, Let's I didn't, go. Re- I didn't realize that was something. <laughs> I thought this was a mining vehicle, right? Uh, anyway, meanwhile, Mr. Borstein has charged through several Earths and obliterated all of them. Looks like there's, like, a U.S. Army Earth or a timeline, a police state timeline there's a medieval knights timeline and like a few futuristic bald guys earth timeline in there too these are the four that we get to see and he seems to be demolishing all of them uh the option that all these earthlings seem to get is to work for ebx or die and they show one panel of them working for ebx and it's just like a conveyor belt of chemistry right it's like non-stop like people in scrubs just moving Speakers along, I, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really know what they're doing, but something nefarious, I would assume. Absolutely. Uh, then uh, Paul and his dad, Edward Borstein, they have a little downtime together. Edward kind of steps out of the whisper purple brain fungus bag, right? I uh, think. <laughs> whatever it is, he looks totally taken over now. I mean, he is just purple. He is that, barely, yeah. Barely even looks humid. He's sort of barely holding himself together. Uh, but when he is separated from Whisper or whatever that thing, he does look inert, right? It needs him. It, he needs to be uh, there steering the ship. It, it seems, seems yeah. like it, yeah. Without him, it's just like a big pulpy thing. Mass, uh, yeah. Paul, Paul's totally in awe of this fungus and the experience his dad is having, and his dad says something to the effect of, you know, you know, your time is coming soon. So yes. uh, <laughs> that's that's a little aside that might bear down, may bear out later. 
Sure, and then uh, nearby, Cave's cybernetic eye is wedged in a fold of the whisper brain pulp thing. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, actually uh, taking in this uh, wonderful father and son scene. Very touching, um, yeah. It is. It's quite touching. Uh, Cave and the gang, including Cave's alternate universe mentor, Professor Mark Barstow, that's the uh, that writer of the uh, Rocks Are Awesome book. That's right, <laughs> the backup. Uh, they're cruising through a uh, time cave. Uh, it's sort of like a neon light lined psychedelic tunnel. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like the uh, Puff Daddy uh, videos of the late 90s, you know, <laughs> where he's going down a tunnel of uh, neon lights. Yeah. And I guess this, this is how they're passing through dimensions. It's just not clear. Maybe there's no way to make such a thing clear, but, you know, it seems like while they're in there, they can see different timelines happening. So somehow they sort get into on, that. On the, but yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I'm not sure. Now, uh, in the backseat, we've got, uh, you know, uh, Wild Dog and uh, one of them. <laughs> but in the front, we have uh, Chloe annoyed with Cave because uh, he decided not to grab an alternate universe version of her mother. Uh, she's, uh, you know, she thinks it's kind of hypocritical since they did take an alternate Professor Barstow after all. And she might have a point, but, you know, Cave. She might. <laughs> Cave, Cave also has a point, you know, they, that the alternate version people are not the same thing you don't watch but it but that who is, that's who is sitting between them that is um that's one of the girls from Muldrug, right that's like uh because I, I for a second i thought maybe we missed something where where maybe chloe went and got an alternate version of her mother and cave was trying to get rid of it no yeah. I, I i think that was you know that's part of like uh the, the crew that you don't see all the time the batman fans the, the the belly shirt kids yeah the belly shirt kids and she's in yeah. there and there's another one of them that like it just can pops up during the during a later gotcha. scene uh, I don't think that's her mother though uh, if it yeah. is she looks like like catatonic <laughs> I don't really know what to, to look very young too to be Chloe's mother but uh yeah I didn't know if maybe it was a uh, if it was an another one of those hallucinations too it was was the second thing I might I thought it might be but uh but it's probably just I mean it's definitely just uh the Batman friend fans friend I think it is yeah I think it's yeah. it's a Muldrugan just uh in for the ride fighting the mm -hmm. good fight uh but you know I, I I was wrong once I'll tell you what uh anyway <laughs> so Cave catches up with Whisper on Earth that looks like the Crusades are happening looks like they're back to the Knights in Shining Armor Earth and uh, Whisper's holding the other Mighty Mole like a gun, firing down on the knights. I thought he'd actually cast it away, but apparently they, he hung on to that newer Mighty Mole and the... Uh, the MM2. Yeah, the, the, exactly, the Mark II version. And uh, the EBX team that was led by Ace that had kind of like... They're still working for Edward Borstein in a sense, or at least you know they seem loyal to whatever the, the uh, Whisper. Uh, they're inside the Mighty Mole, and they're actually controlling the firing, which I thought was strange, too. But I guess, you know, they just know to keep firing towards the moving things and everything will be fine. Cave determines that Whisper Borstein is too big and he has to be killed from within. So he fires these twin grapples and it swings him up uh, on top of his fungal hide and yanks uh, it. And then they all get out right onto his pulpy surface. And then there's an all out fight on the surface of, of Whisper, which is definitely this is the scene, the climax of the book. And, it, you know, it's pretty good. It goes on for a few pages. Sure, it includes a scene of uh, Ace wielding a machete and just bringing it right down on Wild Dog's head. It's stopped by yeah. his helmet, or perhaps uh, maybe he's got a metal plate in his yeah. head. Or that was almost, you know, that was a question to you because you, you're more familiar. Does he have a metal plate as a Marine, or does he? I, not it? that I know of. Not that I know of. It might just be a, a very hard dog. Got a hard, hard head, hard <laughs> helmet, or something. Yeah. 
Now, uh, what what Ace doesn't realize is that he made a mistake doing this because with it stuck in Wild Dog's head, it's now Wild Dog's weapon. Yeah. So he pulls the thing out of his head and then cuts Ace's brain out. Yeah. Cuts it like a coconut. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Barstow observes that Wisp of Borstein is heading very quickly toward a mountain. Ultimately, Cave and the gang are victorious and they share some fist bumps to celebrate. It's weird. They they do have a little weird downtime. It's like it's, they do. It's not over. I I thought you know they're no, still, no they just catch just, their breath. Things are still kind of critical. <laughs> and you know, Chris, I'm thinking that that maybe that thing with Wild Dog is from a movie. Possibly. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's a reference. Yeah. Maybe it's a referencing a movie. Yeah, it, it just seems so like, I mean, I, I liked it as a scene, but it seems so sure. specific to what specific. was happening. Yeah. But uh, I'm not sure. Anyway, you, people out there in listener land, do let us know <laughs> if it is something from a movie that we've missed. So now only, the only folks left on Borstein's side are the one girl from the Mighty Mole, that from EBX and Paul, uh, Eddie's son. Edward opens up a hole that looks awfully... Uh, sensual, looks sphincterish, uh, mm-hmm. and, and whispers hide and tells him to jump in. Paul first shoves the woman in, makes sure it's okay. She says it's fine, a little sticky. Who said chivalry's dead? I know, really. Uh, <laughs> seeing that she's okay, Paul jumps in too, and Whisper just begins mining into this mountain. I guess now he can mine, you know, he's just spitting out this kind of like pink dust Gassy or gas or dust, something. Yeah. Uh, Cave and Jay, they man the newer Mighty Mole, which now they've hijacked, and they're, they're sort of, I guess, cutting away at the exterior of this tunnel that Whisper's boring so they don't get scraped off the hide. And they come to a big, giant pink crystal, which turns out to be the stone that's in the engagement ring that we saw given on the very first page of the book. Hmm. Wow. How about that? Now, Whisper Borstein leaps out of the ring and uh, onto the green being with the hare's eyes, like a like kind of like a like a face hugging type thing yeah. uh, that I hear in movies that I never saw. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, it should go without saying, you know, that they came out of this ring. So these creatures are gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, they're giants. They're like as big as mountains, basically. Yeah. Um, now, thus taking over her mind, she snaps the bald green thing's neck. He's just. <laughs> It almost looks like they become like the same person in a scene there because it's like he's just like toppled over in her lap almost. Yeah. And uh, she plucks both mighty moles from the surface of the whisper and flings them away. And they would land with a boom in a wooded valley, cave's cybernetic eye along with them. Mm-hmm. And we you know now it's what's going to happen next. Uh, there, of course, there's a backup. There was a. Professor Mark Barstow and Dr. Niedermeyer discussed some galactic leakage in the article for Rocks. What is it? Rocks are cool, right? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, and we Rocks learned about are super great. We learn about Olga, a diamond that's five times the size of Earth, and it orbits a pulsar. And I don't mm. think it actually exists, but it, it was a cool story. Plus, a weird water slide maze that's very easy to complete, featuring Bane, and I mean like ridiculously easy to complete, like you know child menu at the uh, Denny's type yeah. complete. And of course the same thing we saw in whatever we had last week. It was uh was it shade had to be or bug. Well we did bug and there was no backup in bug. That's right. That Back, was, they had yeah. no backup. That's right. Maybe they actually wrote the whole book. I think uh, I think it had to have been Shade had the Who's Who with Becky Clunin plus a yeah. letter from the editor. That seems to be this month's backup option. Plus Bane. Why not? Throw that Why in not? there for you too. So uh, what do you think of this, Chris? I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought the uh, the fight scene was really cool. Um, but 
I'm tired of the story. Yeah. I, I think I think this has gone on long enough. I, I want something new. I don't know if there's going to be something new, but I would like there – if there is going to be something new, I would like to start it as soon as possible. Or just wrap it – you know, if this is it, wrap it up. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I'm not – this series doesn't need to go on for – I'm not saying it should be canceled, but I don't feel it needs to go on for 150 issues either. I think it could – Sure. I think in many ways it's – made the statement it could it was going to make and uh mm-hmm. it's been great you know what i mean and i I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing a few more adventures but i definitely wouldn't want to see this one wrapped up it's a little long in the tooth yeah big this, time. this issue though did bring us back to something we you know we haven't gotten a full out we seem to get about every third one a really good action issue and something that these guys do really well i'll tell you i, I wouldn't mind seeing the same creative team on another property i don't you know i don't see why that would uh, be impossible. I have no idea. Sure. I don't know what's at Young Animal's disposal, but I assume any weirdo character that isn't Jerry Lewis or Bob Hope, they can do right. <laughs> Bring out the, I was what? I was a little disappointed when they uh, what did they announce the thing where the artists are going to be the the forefront of it, like Ramita and uh, what is it? It's the Jim Lee thing that they announced for the fall. Oh oh um, oh yeah, that's the um, whatever the hell that thing's going to yeah, be called. I, remember, I forgot what that was. I was a little disappointed that they announced a Challengers uh, series because I thought Challengers would be good in that, Young Animal. It would be. That could that could be really cool. You know what I mean? And and yeah. these, these would be great guys to do it. I mean, they've kind Absolutely. of have tackled that in a lot of ways with Cave, but they with Challengers we could take them outside of the cavern and into the open air to hang out with into everywhere, yeah. pterodactyls and stuff like that. But anyway, that's uh that's neither here nor there. There are other. <laughs> there are always sea devils, Chris. There are plenty of plenty of uh, groups are. out there they could fool around with. Um, I ended up giving this an 8.5 out of 10 because I did feel like I had that much fun reading it. But uh, with the caveat that, it, it, you know, I hope I don't think it is. But I really I, next issue, it'd be nice to wrap it up and move on mm-hmm. to something else. Uh, definitely soon, soon enough. But really, <laughs> I don't have any complaints with it uh, in totality. No. Sort of confused about how they're flitting through dimensions. But maybe that'll all come to light later on or maybe it's not relevant. What about you? What do you think? I'd give it a, uh, a soft 8.5. Uh, I'd probably lean closer to an 8 yeah. uh, as a solid figure, but uh, this was a great issue. I, it, I feel weird complaining because every issue has been really good. It's just I'm just getting a little tired of the of this story. Yeah. The story is, uh, I, you know, I, I think back to that Dark Side War with Justice League. I loved every issue of that, but it's like, wow, this has been going on forever. It, it, got, it, uh, it was honestly, I thought, even just two issues too long. Yeah, which isn't that yeah. much, you know, but it's like it can be it can wear you it's out still 60 you know? days. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it can it can wear you out and pull you along. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we mentioned before the show this book, we're still sort of in the, the first arc. This is the same Basically. story that we've been in. But, you know, same around threat. around the sixth issue, when Cave lost his eye and Edward became whisper, it, it took a turn. And it, if they do something like that again, you know what I mean? Where, you yeah. know, uh, but I, like, I just like this would like to see a new villain, a new baddie. Yeah. Or give threat. us a, give us an issue of downtime. Give us a, give us a new partner. Give us, that you know, could be okay. something. Yeah. <laughs> what about a whole issue with Cave polishing his cybernetic eye? His That'd eye. Be nice. There we go. Uh, but anyway, still highly recommended. Uh, you Absolutely. Know, I, we really enjoy this series. If you like high flying action and like sometimes, uh, definitely a lot of psychedelic stuff in your comics, and sometimes you like to see uh, some curse words here and there, but not too much. Then uh, 
this comic could be for you. Speaking of curse words, next week we have one that's usually chock full of them, Chris. Loaded. It goes the other way. Mother Panic number eight is next week, and that's what we'll be reading for this segment. But uh, I think that's all we got for him uh, this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? No, just a question here. Have we ever had four weeks in a row? Um, hmm. I don't know we, that we've ever had four we weeks have in a row. That the first four weeks, I think we did. I think they were able to keep a schedule the first four weeks and then never. Well, again. the books were launched within different months. I wonder if there oh, was. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This might be. We might be going into uncharted waters here. Well, four weeks know, in a row I, with I, young I, animal books. I didn't peek it. Actually, it's true. Next week's the last week. So yeah. Um. Good job, guys. Uh. You have. <laughs> you have five books. You're able to get four of them out in a month. That's, that's better than some other companies are doing. That's a I'll B. tell you that. Yeah, that yeah. never give you a B on that. <laughs> you know, some of these other companies, it's like, oh, good, I saw an issue, and I'll just that'll be another sixteen months till the night till issue number two. Just wait and wait on. Sure. Uh, anyway, <laughs> don't cancel your pre-orders. So that'll be exciting. Maybe we'll have a big celebration for our fourth week in a row. But uh, if that's all we got for him, then I think until next week, I want you to keep it young and animalistic. 